missing connection to science night. Please stand by. Welcome back to another edition of the Science Night Podcast. My name is James, and we got a good one for you. Tonight, Jason is talking to Brian Scarry, a photojournalist that specializes in underwater wildlife, about his new documentary, The Return of the White Shark. But first, it's Shark Fest! So get ready to sink your teeth into 72 hours of sharktastic programming during the entire month of July. You can find original and enhanced stuff across the Disney-owned channels. We're talking National Geographic, Nat Geo Wild, Nat Geo Mundo, the Disney Channel, Disney XD, Disney Junior, ESPN2, and streaming on Disney Plus and Hulu. But before you go check out the most authentic and comprehensive shark viewing experience ever, listen to Jason's conversation with Brian Scary coming up right now. I'd like to welcome to the podcast our guest, Brian Scary. Brian is a photojournalist and film producer specializing in marine wildlife and underwater environments. Brian is coming to us today to talk about Shark Fest 2023, and in particular, his documentary, uh, Return of the White Shark. Brian, thank you for coming on to talk to us today. You were involved in some incredible footage. I spent the morning this morning watching some of this documentary. And I have to tell you, I have been watching shark documentaries for a really long time. I, I'm an evolutionary biologist by training. Mm. Uh, I've always been very interested in marine environments, although that's not the area I specialized in. And so sharks were always really captivating to me. But I have not seen footage like this before. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to film sharks in Cape Cod. Well, thanks very much, Jason. Um, yeah, so this was a project that um, was sort of near and dear to my heart. Um, I started diving and exploring the ocean in New England waters. I grew up in Massachusetts. I live in Maine now on the Maine coast. And, um, you know, I started diving over four decades ago in these very waters. And if you had told me back then that, um, you know, there would be hundreds of great white sharks swimming around Cape Cod and, and the Gulf of Maine, I would have thought you were crazy, but that's what we've seen evolve. So I created this film along with Sea Light Pictures from Australia as a way of giving audiences a window into the world of this newly emerging great white shark hub. You know, there's about five major hubs of great white shark activity on planet Earth, as far as we know. But there's never been sort of this new emerging one. This would be analogous to a new pride of lions emerging in some place in Africa. But that kind of thing doesn't generally happen. But it is happening here. We set out over two seasons to sort of document this as best we could to give people a sense of what was going on and primarily to focus on the work of scientists who were trying to understand the white shark's behaviors, how they feed in these waters as a way of you know, better protecting public safety. The challenges really, Jason, were that unlike some of these other great white shark hubs in the world, you know, South Australia, Guadalupe Island, Mexico, even South Africa, this is a place on Cape Cod where the white sharks are hunting in very shallow water. Most mm -hmm. of the predation occurs in, you know, less than 10 feet of water on seals. And the water is very murky. There's very strong currents in these waters. and 
you, you're not allowed by by law, the state of Massachusetts, you can't put a shark cage in there, you can't chum, you can't attract the sharks in any way. So what we were working with, and it was brilliant in the sense that it's really a natural laboratory, it's a natural mm -hmm. way of studying these animals and their new behaviors. So a lot of the filming, my my original concept was to to do two primary things. One was to use drones, you know, the latest and greatest drone technology to have cinematic cameras in the sky, working in conjunction with spotter pilots. So we were using a spotter pilot who can find the sharks and then we can fine tune the filming with the drone. And then also to use something called a GSS, a, a gyro stabilized system, which is a, a system that we mount on a boat and it has a gyro stabilizer that allows us to use up to a thousand millimeter lens, but make it rock solid, even in a rocky boat, a rocking sea. And those were the two primary tools. We also did use some underwater cameras that we were able to use on remote systems that we built to put underwater, working with uh, the Center for Coastal Studies, a scientist named Brian Laguerre, who had a permit. I was on the permit as well with the state of Massachusetts. So a lot of the data that we collected for the film is also being used by science to better understand these animals and their you know, habitats underwater. So it was really those three pieces that we sort of orchestrated to, to gather the, the footage that was used in um, Return of the White Shark. And this footage is just absolutely breathtaking. You know, to paint the scene for our listeners, Cape Cod is this area of really shallow water with sandbars everywhere and people flock to those beaches. So there's a, a real important human interface right there um, and human interaction with wildlife happening at the center of life here with all these beach towns that are sprinkled all along Cape Cod. And then when you look at this footage, right, and you're talking about spotter planes, to me, this was a foreign concept because... Um, you know, I did my field work in Costa Rican rainforests with my, mm. with uh, binoculars looking for monkeys. Um, right. Very different because I didn't rely have to rely on anything but my own two eyes and you know and my legs to carry me uh, a pair of binoculars to be able to spot our animals, right? But for you to be able to spot the sharks, this uh, this drone footage is amazing. Um, and the the spotter planes, uh, the way that they're able to track where these animals are because their gray backs stand out against the you know pristine white sands or you know light sands uh, in the very shallow water. It just was a hugely foreign concept to me because of all the the people power involved in just tracking a single animal but then to know that you aren't allowed to have shark cages right um in the mm -hmm. waters and right. to know that you know you're not chumming the water these are natural interactions that are not being staged by any by any stretch i could not get over just what incredible footage this was i mean we're what looks to be inches from these animals as they're moving fluidly through murky waters trying to attack or to feed off of seals. I, I just could not get over it. Um, but I think that what made this really interesting for me as a biologist was that the way that these sharks are hunting also mm -hmm. is very different than uh, they would in any other environments because, because it's so shallow, right? They are ambush predators. They're going to come from the deep underneath and strike at animals, and they can't do that in these shallow waters. And so the images that you captured basically between the interplay of the seals trying to avoid being in water that was more than a few inches deep so that they could avoid becoming shark bait and the sharks you know trolling that that interface were just remarkable images i just have to know were you in this water <laughs> it's a great question the answer is no none of us got in the water for this film which is quite unusual you know um my last uh series uh, on disney 
was called Secrets of the Whales. And we worked in 24 locations uh, from the equator to the poles over three years. And I was in the water in every location there. But in this place, no, it wouldn't have been safe to do it. And nor would it have been productive. You might get a flyby with one of the white sharks, maybe swimming by in very murky water. But we felt reasonably confident that our remote cameras underwater would, over time, capture the, the underwater scenes that, that we would be able to use. But you highlighted several key components of this film, Jason, and, and those are really the foundation upon which we built, the, the first being the spotter pilot. This is a technique that really wouldn't work in many of the other um, white shark hubs because the water is too deep. But in Cape Cod, with that shoaly white sand, as you described, those sharks, when they're swimming in close to shore, in, in close to the seals, they stand out, you know, like a black cat on a snowy field. Um, so the pilots can see them. They can guide us to get closer. And, you know, we watch what's going on. The other thing is what you described about how they're hunting. You know, all the current scientific literature, the textbooks out there about white shark predation say that a, a white shark needs about 80 feet of water in order to ambush a seal that they, you know, rocket up from below, as we've seen in places like South Africa and so forth. But that is not what's happening in Cape Cod. It's a very different strategy. And some of the latest science that we reveal in Return of the White Shark shows that what they're doing is they're actually using the natural geography, the, the oceanographic topography in one place, particular on the Cape, that uh, they call the, the nest or the, the trench or the gully where there's two twin sandbars and in between is this bit of a, a gully that they migrate into and then they swim down deep. They, they enter near the surface, they drop down, you know, maybe 20 or 30 feet. There's a lot of what's known as mungweed, you know, seaweed and so forth in there. So they're actually camouflaging themselves in that with their natural counter shading and then waiting for seals to, to you know, appear overhead and then they come up and, and, and snag them from there. So there is a lot of new science and things that, um, you know, couldn't be done film-wise in other locations. So there was one really interesting sort of new technology in terms of tagging the sharks that was employed during this filming of this documentary. And uh, I think they were called cat tags. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and so these were um, basically like sticking an iPhone with a video camera running at all times yeah. onto the back of a shark. Right. So it was a uh, it was tethered on um, by a harpoon and it sort of shaped like a, a mini torpedo. And my understanding is that uh you know, it was going to be able to measure acceleration and it was going to be videoing constantly what was going on. What kind mm -hmm. of new information were you able to learn from from images coming back from that? You know, this is the work of two primary researchers, uh, Dr. Greg Scomel of the you know Massachusetts Division of Marine Fisheries and Wayne, uh, Megan Winton, uh, also working with the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. They both work with the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy on Cape Cod. A big part of what they're doing today is trying to study the fine scale movements of white sharks in Cape Cod. So the prior work that they were doing, they were doing a population study over the last 10 years since this white shark hub sort of began to emerge in about 2009-2010 and they've also been doing some tagging data which are broad scale movements you know so there's tag a shark they'll track its movements see if it goes down to the gulf of mexico or out to bermuda or up to the you know north atlantic where it's actually going but now these cat tags as you described little torpedoes that stay on the shark for maybe 48 hours 72 hours at the most perhaps 
uh, and then they pop off. This is giving that fine scale movement. So they, there are accelerometers so they can, you know, when you retrieve the tag, you can look at when a shark sped up, when it slowed down. Usually the speeding up is probably a sign of predation or an attempted predation. They can measure water temperature. They measure time of day. Uh, they measure the salinity, the, uh, all the, the various factors. And as Greg Scomel and, and Megan described it to me, what they're trying to achieve here is to essentially be like meteorologists. They figure that with enough data, which is, you know, right now it's essentially data deficient. We don't know very much about when or how these animals predate, but the more that we can gather, including video uh, data, which is part of the cat tag, then they can begin to put the puzzle together of when attacks most likely happening. You know, are they doing it at day? Are they doing it at night? Are they doing it high tide? Are they doing it low tide? Um, where are they doing it geographically? So the more information they believe they have, the better they can uh, inform the public in terms of public safety. And that's really what's driving this particular research right now. I have one last question for you. And uh, and it, I'm going to ask it because a lot of our listeners are science communication practitioners. And so um, I know that when I was growing up, and we had a subscription to National Geographic, you know, I, the iconic images on the cover always made me want to open it up. And I thought, you know, if I could do something that wasn't going to be um, strictly a biologist, wildlife photography is something that I could absolutely see myself doing. How did right. you get involved as a science communicator extraordinaire? And, and, you know, sort of what was the drive to do that? Well, um, thank you very much for that. I, I would say that, you know, my trajectory was that I was a diver first. I started diving when I was about 15 years old, like you. I was reading National Geographic and watching documentaries as a kid, the old Cousteau documentaries maybe and mm -hmm. others, and wanting to do all kinds of exploration, loved nature, and really wanted to be out there in the ocean in particular. I think I would have been a scientist. That was my dream. If it had not been for math, uh, that might have been the... <laughs> But uh, math sort of uh, torpedoed me. But um, fortunately, I, I was able to pivot a little bit and pick up a camera. And um, my dream was from the very beginning to work for National Geographic. It was a very lofty dream. But um, in 1998, I got my first assignment with National Geographic magazine. So I spent 25 years creating and proposing and producing stories for, for National Geographic about the ocean. I'm currently working on my, I think, 33rd story, but also, you know, doing a lot more television and documentary film work these days as well. I think, you know, for me, it was always essential to understand the science. The science was always the ground floor, that foundation on which I was going to build the story. And I worked with scientists and still do in, in every story that I do. I often describe my work is sort of parachuting into the lives of, of these researchers who dedicate their lives to revealing these mysteries about nature and then trying to give it visual context and, and make sure I get their stories right. So that's really been my my goal. And it has to be rooted in science. But, you know, I've, I've often described when I'm doing speaking engagements, you know, that I need to understand the science. But what I'm trying to capture is the poetry that exists in nature, the visual poetry. What I've learned is that you can pepper people all day long with facts and figures, and at some point they just glaze over. But if you can get them to fall in love, or at least, you know, have some appreciation, you know, I realize that most folks aren't going to feel the same way about a fish that they might about a furry mammal in the forest. But if we can show them 
in this case, that sharks are magnificent, that they have these evolutionary biologies that are unique, that they haven't changed in hundreds of millions of years because they haven't needed to change, and then show them how important they are to the ecosystem, connect the dots as we do in this film. You know, the seals are important for, you know, ecosystem restoration, and that what we're seeing here is actually the restoration of an ecosystem that, you know, if you go back hundreds of years, there were sharks and seals. It's it's only in the more recent times that we haven't seen that because they were all killed by humans. So it's a good thing that these are happening, but we need to coexist. So the science and the storytelling have to go hand in hand for me. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a real collaborative effort. I could not have said that better myself. Brian, thank you so much for coming on to uh, Science Night. It was really great to talk to you. Um, again, uh, our guest has been Brian Scary, filmmaker and creator of Return of the White Shark, uh, which you can watch uh, through National Geographic's Shark Fest 2023. Again, Shark Fest runs from July 2nd until July 30th across National Geographic, Nat Geo Wild, Nat Geo Mundo, Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN2. Thank you, Brian. Fantastic Thanks, to talk with you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. You've made it to the end of another episode, but don't worry. We got more coming your way all summer, so be sure to follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at James underscore Reed3. Steffi's on Twitter at Steffi Deem and on Instagram at Starshipin. And Jason is on Twitter at OrganJM. Follow the show at CyanitePod and visit our home on the web, Cyanite.com, for links to all our social media including our YouTube and TikTok. We got new little videos going up on that stuff, so you want to see our smiling faces? Head over to those channels. And since you've stayed here to the end, here's a special call to action. Go to podcastawards.com and nominate us for the People's Choice and Science categories if you think we deserve some accolades. So be sure to go do that. And if you do, maybe take a screenshot and DM it to our Twitter and we'll find a way to thank you. And don't forget to watch all the Sharktastic fun during Sharkfest. We'll be back soon with a new episode. But until then, have a great night. The Science Night Podcast is a proud member of the River Power Podcast Mill. To find out more about our shows, go to riverpower.xyz. Whether you're a fin fanatic, yes! or simply shark curious, look at the size of that. Everyone's invited to take a bite out of the summer's biggest event. We're going to dive in and take a look. Nat Geo Shark Fest. It really takes your breath away. What's actually happening here is depredation. Sharks in Canada, it's an open field. The shark could be around at any moment. It's all or nothing. With four weeks of shark shows, the sharks are coming in closer. Be prepared to bite off more than you can chew. This is a shark fest. Shark Fest, four week event, Sunday, July 2nd, on National Geographic.